Today, the, the sermon that I have today is entitled Waiting Well. And I think waiting is not something that we uh, enjoy very much. Uh, it's, and our, our culture really is set up so that we don't have to wait too often. Um, we, uh, I, I was doing a woodworking project. I like to do some woodworking in my spare time and I was needing a new uh, set of chisels. And so I go into Amazon and I find a pair of chisels that's got you know pretty high rating. But then the kicker was... Uh, it could be at my house within two to four hours. And I was like, you got to be kidding me. I was like, bye now, let's go. And sure enough, those, those chisels were at my doorstep with, within just a little over two hours. I was amazed, you know. Um, you know, my kids also make fun of me, especially my boys. Um, you know, I, I like to watch sports. I'm a, I'm a Browns fan. I'm a, I'm a Columbus Crew fan. And, um, but I don't watch, I don't start the game when the game is live. And they give me a hard time about this. I wait, you know, I record it. And I wait till it's an hour, hour and a half in. And then I just start watching. I just fast forward through all the, all the commercials. I fast, when the referees are deciding, was it a catch? Was it not a catch? Fast forward. I want to see that. And, uh, and I can just buzz through a game in about an hour and a half instead of three hours. Because I don't want to wait through the commercials. You know, we just, we don't like to wait. We're not conditioned to wait. Um, but, uh, but, but, but we are in a time when, when we are waiting. We're waiting for uh, Christ's return. We're, we're waiting for um, the consummation of the kingdom. Uh, we're, we're kind of in between, in between times and we're, we're called to wait. Uh, the, our scripture today is Matthew 25. You can turn there. We'll, we'll, we'll read it here in a, in a minute. But I want to give a little bit of context uh, before we jump into uh, the passage. Uh, it's taking place, Jesus is giving this, um, this parable in the middle of a larger sermon, a larger set of teachings, which are known as the Olivet Discourse. And Jesus is in Jerusalem. This is the week before he's going to be crucified. Uh, and he is on the Mount of Olives, which is across the valley from the temple. And he is, uh, the, the, the disciples have asked him, you know, tell us about the, the end of the age. You know, what's it going to look like? And Jesus is talking about um, his return in, in, in chapter 24. And then in the middle of chapter 24, he starts talking about, you know, how are we uh, to, to wait? How are we, what are things going to be like as we wait? He begins uh, in, uh, in verse uh, 36 and 37 talking about, you know, it's going to be kind of like the days of Noah, uh, where people are eating and drinking and marrying and giving in marriage. And then all of a sudden the rain came and, and the door to the ark was shut. It's going to be like uh, a couple of men working in the fields and they'll be working and working and just doing their thing and one of them will be taken and the other one will be left. It'll be like a couple of women by a mill and they're both grinding the mill together and all of a sudden one will be taken and one will be left. And we see that, you know, we are to wait uh, in the midst of just ordinary life. So it's just going to be ordinary life. Ordinary things are going to be happening. You know, life can be very ordinary. Life, you know, sometimes you say, hey, what's new? And it's like you think back, it's, like, it's not a lot new. You know, things are just, things are very ordinary. And we're to wait in the midst of ordinary circumstances. He continues and says, you know, it's also like um, the thief coming in, in the middle of the night. You don't, you don't know, the thief doesn't announce when he's coming. Um, you have to be prepared. You have to be ready for the thief. It's like the, he gives an example of the good slave and the bad slave and the good slave was treating the other slaves well. The bad slave was mistreating the slaves and they didn't know when the master was gonna come back and it didn't go well for the evil slave because he wasn't, he wasn't prepared for an imminent return. And so we're to wait on ordinary circumstances. We're to wait being prepared for 
an imminent return. It could happen at any moment. He continues his teaching and he begins to tell this, this, the parable of the 10 virgins. And these virgins are, are, are waiting uh, a marriage um, feast, waiting for the groom to come through town and, and lead everyone in a procession to the marriage. And they're all prepared with their lamps, but five of them uh, have just their lamps and five of them have their lamps and they have additional flasks of oil. And they're waiting and they're waiting and it's, and he's, it's becoming a long time and it says they fell asleep. And suddenly there was a shout and he's coming and everybody had to jump up and trim their, trim their lamps and be prepared. And, and five of them didn't have any oil remaining and, the, and, and five of them did. And they, uh, those who didn't went scrambling to look for oil, but they were shut out of the marriage feast. So we were to wait in the midst of ordinary life, we're to wait prepared for an imminent return, but we also need to wait prepared for a long delay. And all these things are true. All these things are, um, you know, how we are to wait well for our Savior's return. And that brings us to our, our passage for today, which is Matthew 25, 14 through 30. And I'm going to read that now. <clears throat> for it's just like a man about to go on a journey who called his own slaves and entrusted his possessions to them. To one he gave five talents, to another two, and to another one, each according to his own ability. And he went on his journey. Immediately the one who had received the five talents went and traded with them and gained five more talents. In the same manner, the one who had received the two talents gained two more. But he who received the one talent went away and dug a hole in the ground and hid his master's money. Now after a long time, the master of those slaves came and settled accounts with them. The one who had received the five talents came up and brought five more talents saying, Master, you entrusted five talents to me. See, I have gained five more talents. His master said to him, well done, good and faithful slave. You are faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Enter into the joy of your master. Also the one who had received the two talents came up and said, Master, you entrusted two talents to me. See, I have gained two more talents. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful slave. You are faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Enter into the joy of your master. And the one also who had received the one talent came up and said, Master, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you scattered no seed. And I was afraid and I went away and hid your talent in the ground. See, you have what is yours. But his master answered and said to him, you wicked, lazy slave, you knew that I reap where I did not sow and gather where I scattered no seed. Then you ought to have put my money in the bank. And on my arrival, I would have received my money back with interest. Therefore, take away the talent from him and give it to the one who has the 10 talents. For to everyone who has, more shall be given, and he will have an abundance. But from the one who does not have, even what he has shall be taken away. Throw out the worthless slave into the outer darkness in that place where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. This is the word of the Lord. So as we look at parables, uh, a couple of principles that we want to take into mind as we, um, as we try to see what can we learn uh, from, from these parables. Um, you know, they're, they're literature. And so as we look at different 
parts of the Bible, we have to, we have to kind of take different approach in, in learning about them. With, with parables, uh, there's, there's a few steps that we want to do. First, we want to look at the literal story. What's the literal story saying? And what would it have meant to those people in that time? Uh, second, we would take, uh, uh, and we'd look at what are the, what's the symbology that's in there? What, what are the symbols that we can see in there? And what can, what can we learn from them? Uh, and then third, we draw out the themes and we draw out the universal, universal truths. What is true for all people, for all time, um, out, out of these parables? And only once we've done these, these steps, then we, can, then we can say, okay, how does this apply? And we would say, how would it have applied to the original hearers in their day? And then how does it apply to us today? And what can it mean for us? And so as we go through this, we're gonna, we're gonna do that. We're gonna look at the literal story. We're gonna look at the, the, the symbols, the symbolism, and you know, what are the universal truths? And then we'll try, to, we'll try to make some application at the end. And so we're gonna do it uh, kind of in four parts. I'm gonna take each one of the characters in the parable and we'll look at them each in turn. So we're gonna begin <clears throat> with the, this master, this rich master, and he was definitely very rich. Um, it is said that he had, you know, he gave away eight talents in, in this parable and a talent uh, or a talenton, it's actually uh, the word, a talenton is where we get the word talents. There was no word talent in the English language until churches began preaching this parable and the word talent kind of came into the English language as a result of this, um, this word talenton, uh, which is a vast sum of money. It's actually a, it's actually a, a weight of measure, it's a way to measure weight. And uh, it equaled about 6,000 denarii. And a denarius, one denarius is a day's wage for a laborer. And if you kind of work that out, imagine, you know, what's the, what's the average, um, you know, average wage? And 6,000 days is roughly about 20, 20 years of working. Um, it, it turns out to be roughly in today's dollars about a million dollars. So one talent is about a million dollars. So this man had eight million dollars that he was entrusting to three men. Uh, it's interesting that uh, he doesn't, he, he, he distributes it, we might say unfairly, but he distributes it based on ability. It said in there, it says he didn't, he didn't, um, uh, he didn't give, you know, three and a third or a, a two and a third or whatever the math would be for, to each one. He gave, he gave one five, one two, and one one, and it was based on their ability. He knew uh, his slaves. He knew them. He knew which ones could be entrusted with five, which ones could be entrusted with two, and which one could be entrusted with one. He knew them, and he distributed the money uh, based on his knowledge of those men. And uh, the other point within the literal story that we can take out of this is that he owned it all. The master owns it all. Um, he owned all the money and uncomfortably he owned the three people. And this isn't gonna be a sermon on you know, slavery and slavery in uh, the, the, the Roman time versus slavery in the American South. Um, but you know, I, think the, I think part of the reason that that existed during that time was so that there could be illustrations such as this to illustrate that the master owns these people. And so let's consider the symbolism here. It should be pretty clear that, the, that this rich man is, represents Jesus, um, especially because of the context. Jesus is talking about, yeah, I'm gonna be gone for a while and you guys are gonna have to wait for me to return. Um, it, rep, you know, it represents his ascension and his eventual second coming, which um, we will, um, if we don't see in our lifetimes, we will 
uh, we will see from heaven at some point. But we see, but but we also can see that um, that Jesus owns us, and it can be a little bit of an uncomfortable thought, especially for Americans. We, we can be very independent. We don't, you know, nobody owns us. You know, we're we're our own independent um, people. But you know, just want you just to consider your 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 own your own body and and the. Um, the miracle that your body really is, the fact that you have, you have, you have thoughts right now that your, your eyes are picking up, um, you know, as, as light is reflecting off of me, you're picking that up and your eyes are processing that. It's, a, it's, a, it's really a miracle. Your lungs are filling with air and distributing air through your bloodstream. Um, you know, your muscles and your ligaments and your bones all connect so that you can do, this isn't, doesn't look coordinated, but you can do coordinated actions. Um, you can walk, you can stand. Um, and the very molecules that you, that you're made up of, Christ made those, he created those and he, he, he owns them. He owns us. And we'll see, you'll, you'll, you'll hear me say many, many times, cause we're talking about, you know, we're talking about gifts and things that God gives us. And I'll, I know I'm going to say gives a lot, but really it's all being loaned to us. Um, this master, he, he loaned this money to these people. It's a loan. And, you know, we're going to be called at some point to, to account for how we, how we used this loan. So every time you hear me say loan, you know, flip it around and say, or every time you hear, hear me say give, flip it around and maybe say loan in your mind. Um, God gives us all of our, God, God, God knows each one of us. Um, he's, he owns us and he knows each one of us. Um, he knows our personalities. He, know our, he knows our competencies. He knows our giftings because he gave them to us. Ephesians 2.10 says, for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand so that we would walk in them. He knows us very well. He knows every, every hair on our heads. He says in Matthew 10.29, uh, we are worth more than a sparrow. Even the hairs on our head are numbered. He knows us and he has given us just the gifts just the abilities, um, every ability that we have. But not only does he give us abilities, he gives us talents. And so what, what would we say are the talents in this, in this parable? Um, you know, they, I think they symbolize uh, opportunities because the, the parable makes a dis- distinction between the talents that were given and the abilities of the people. They were given to them based on their abilities. So in the context of this parable, the talents are the opportunities that we have. Um, perhaps the, um, the education that you've received. Um, maybe it's the, the friends that you have. You know, maybe it's the place where you work. Um, it's the days that you've been given. It's the money that you've been given. These are all opportunities that God has given us. Um, these are the talents that we have. And God gives us opportunities so that we can bring glory to him in proportion to, to our abilities. So that's, so that's the master. That's what we can learn from the master. Let's, let's take a look at the slave with five talents. Um, in the story, uh, we see that when he's given the five talents, what he does is immediately he goes out, he immediately gets to work, and he immediately starts trading. He immediately starts investing things. Um, and it's not, it wasn't easy to invest in those days. It wasn't like they could, he could take his you know, five 
talents, his $5 million and, and throw it into some .com or Bitcoin or something and just kind of see it go up and just kind of sit back and watch his money grow in some way. Um, you know, he would have to do a lot of work to make that happen. It might've been a little bit um, um, shocking for people of that time to think, okay, this guy, this guy, this slave has, he's got a lot of work to do. He's got to go buy some fields. He's got to maybe, maybe he's going to get some fishing vessels and hire some fishermen and some shepherds. And he's got a lot of work to do, a lot of people to look after. Remember, this is $5 million. That's a hundred years of salary. He could hire a hundred people on the spot and pay them for a full year. Um, and he's got to manage these people and figure out how this is. This is a lot of work. So he, and he immediately got started on this. He doubled his investment. Um, so it was clear that he, um, he wasn't just uh, looking to get a, you know, a, a 5% return. Uh, he, he was working hard um, for, for his master. And um, he's commended and the master says, well done, good and faithful slave. And he adds, enter into the joy of your master. And we'll talk a little bit more about that in a minute. What do we see from, uh, the, what are the symbols in here? We see, I think when we, we talk about the immediacy of his action, I think it's hearkening back to the previous teaching that Jesus has given, where he says, you know, we're to wait being prepared for his imminent return. Uh, this, this man said, okay, I don't, know when the, I don't know when my master's coming back, but I'm gonna get started right now. I'm gonna get, I'm gonna get going almost this very day thinking, where am, I, where am I gonna start spending this money? Where am I gonna be investing this money so that I can have a return for him when he comes back? Um, so that I can show him that I am, that I am serious about the investment that he's made in me and, and show myself as a good steward. He started immediately, but he also, he invested. And I think that harkens back to the teaching that Jesus was just giving giving about, you know, be prepared for a long delay. He wasn't just getting, trying to get a quick return. He was, he was trading and he was thinking long-term. Um, and I think it's, it's, it's important to notice that, you know, all of this was for his, for his eternal enjoyment. Um, you know, Jesus was showing, or the, the man was showing himself to not be a selfish taskmaster. He, he always had, it, had the intention of sharing this wealth um, with, with his slaves. Let's take a look at the, the slave with two talents. There's not a whole lot said about him, to be honest. Um, it just says, in the same manner, he went out and doubled his money. He, he, he had two, two talents and he made two more. Um, and it also says that he got the exact same reward as the man who had five talents. Well done, good and faithful slave. Enter into the joy of your master. But, uh, and, and you, might, you might say, I heard a commentator say, it's very interesting that there are three characters in this story because he could have had two. One is just like, here's the one that invested and did well. Here's the one that did not invest and did not do well. But he puts this slave in the middle and... Um, uh, Spurgeon actually has a sermon entirely about this, this one man. Like there's very, there's very few said about him, but Spurgeon is, uh, has an entire uh, sermon about this man. Um, uh, talking about how, and I think the reason is because, you know, most of us are not five talent slaves. Most of us are not, um, you know, Peter or Paul. Most of us are not Luther or Calvin or Spurgeon. Most of us are not, you know, the John Pipers or the Tim Kellers or the R.C. Sproles or the C.S. Lewis's. We're, we're not, 
you know, giving sermons that are heard by millions. We're not writing books that are read and are on the, the, the bestseller list. We're not, we don't have podcasts with, you know, tens of thousands of followers. That's, that's most of us. I'd, I'd venture to say that's, that's everyone here. Um, we're, we're, not, we're not five talent, um, we're not five talent people. And I think, I think Jesus wanted to call out the fact that we, we are all called, we are all given certain abilities, we are all given certain opportunities, and we are asked to invest those in our, in our areas. Um, Spurgeon gives an example of, you know, God's ocean is full <clears throat> of, of uh, incredible, uh, incredible animals, cr- incredible wildlife. He says, you know, there's the Leviathan in, in the deep of the ocean that wanders through the ocean and as, as, as if it were the five talent uh, slave. Um, but also there's, there are beautiful fish that exist in little corners and little pockets of, of the ocean where the Leviathan could never go. And you and I live in, in places where, where many, many of God's, God's laborers will never go and can never go, but you can and I can. And we are th- that's who we are. We are that, we are that Sec, that slave, that second slave with two, with two talents. And um, I think it's interesting too that uh, two talents, you know, is if one talent is 20 years of wages, two talents is 40 years of wages. And um, the lifespan back in that time was probably, if you made it through childhood, there was a lot of infant mortality in those, in those days, but if you made it through childhood, um, your lifespan was probably 50 or 55 years. And if you start working in your teenage years, that's about 40 years of life that we have. And it's interesting to me that that second, that second slave was given just what he needed for his whole life, just the things that he needed for his whole life. Let's look at the, let's look at the slave with one talent. When I was a, when I was a, a young boy, I, I grew up, in, in the church and I heard this story many times. And I always thought this guy kind of got a raw deal. You know, there's, you, got, you got these two guys and yeah, they did great, good for them. And this guy is like, I mean, it wasn't like he took that money and ran. He wasn't like the prodigal son, you know, who took it to a far country and just wasted it. He, he took care of it. He was, he was kind of afraid. He took care of it. I was like, why'd this guy get such a, such a bad rap? Um, there's a lot going on here. Um, you know, he, as he gave his, his explanation, he's talking about, you know, he's, first of all, he's hiding the money. Um, he's kind of accusing the master. Uh, he's showing fear. It's like, what's, what is going on with this, with this third slave? First, we see in the story that he hid the money. He hid the money. Um, he did not, and Jesus calls him out later. Why didn't you just invest it? Why didn't you just put it in the bank? He hid it. And some commentators think that, you know, uh, in, in those days, if you went on on a journey, it was, 50, it was, it was not 100% that you were going to make it back. It, you know, traveling was a dangerous thing. And some commentators were, were theorizing. It's, it's not um, necessarily, we don't know for sure, but it's very possible that he was hiding that money because he was, he was maybe if he, doesn't, if he doesn't make it back, no one's going no to miss this money. You know, all the, rest, all the rest of this stuff will go and be inherited by, by his family or, or others, but this money's hidden. It's kind of gone. Maybe it's going to be mine if the, if the master doesn't make it back. He kind of uh, takes an accusatory tone as well. He says, you know, you reap where you did not sow and you gather where you do not scatter seed. He's basically saying to the master, you know, you, you, you take things that aren't yours. Um, you, you're, not, you're not a fair person. 
Um, he may have been, he, and he was expressing fear. You know, he says his fear could have been, you know, maybe I'm going to do well and you're just going to, you're just going to take it and, and, and cheat me out of it. What's, what am I going to gain out of, out of, if I do well and I, and I bring you some money, what am I going to gain? Or maybe if I, if I invest and I just, things don't go well and, and I lose some money, I, I feel like you're, you're going to be, you're going to be angry and you're going to, um, you're going to punish me, uh, for all this. But it, it shows that, you know, he doesn't, he, doesn't know, he doesn't know the master. The master is ready to share all of this with those slaves. He's ready, he's, he said to the other two, enter into the joy of your master. He doesn't, he, he shows that he, he really does not know. He does not know the master. He does not know the master's heart for him. He does not know uh, the master's generosity. You know, if, if it was true that, um, that, that the master just wanted to get something that, uh, that, he didn't, that he didn't earn or didn't work for, which is what he was being accused of. Uh, the master says, well, why didn't you, if that's what you really believed, you would have at least put it into the bank because that's, that's getting something that you didn't work for. You just put it in the bank and, and you get your 5%, 10%. I don't know what the going rate was back then. Um, so, so the master calls him out and says, that, that is not, that's not what you really believed because if you did believe that, you would have put it into the, you would have put it into the bank. And he calls him out as being lazy and wicked. And there was a severe consequence for him. He was, he, was, he was not welcomed into the joy of the master. He was excluded from the joy of the master because he did not know, he, sh- he showed that he did not know the master. He did not res- respect the master. And it's possible that he had, I mean, he, he was called wicked. So I think it was, he had some wicked intentions and he was called lazy. And he, he showed that he was lazy by, by burying it and ignoring the money while the other two went out and worked. They, they made businesses, they, they, um, they hired people, um, they worked hard. So how do we, so in, in light of this, how do we wait well? How do we wait well? Uh, parables are intended for us to respond to them. Um, at the end of many of the parables, Jesus will say, he who has ears, let him hear. And what he's saying is, you know, if, if, you really, if you really want to hear, if you really want to hear the truth, you're going to hear it and let him hear. And that, it's calling for a response. It's calling for some, some sort of an action. So I have a few questions for, for us, for all of us this morning. Do you see your life and the opportunities, the abilities that you've been given and the, the places where God has put you, do you see these as things that God has lent to you, that God is gonna call you to account for someday? Second, do you see yourself like, can you see the third slave in you? Do you see yourself afraid? Do you, do you see yourself maybe thinking in the back of your mind, if, if I do what God asks, maybe he's gonna rob me of something that I want. Maybe he's gonna take away something that, that means a lot to me. Or maybe, maybe you feel like if I, if I try and I fail, is God, gonna, is, gonna, is God gonna punish me? Is he gonna be disappointed in me in some way? Do you see that third slave in you? In some ways, I, I see myself there sometimes, to be honest. Have you, have you hidden your talents? Have you buried your talents? Have you seen opportunities? Have you seen God actually give you opportunities and have you not taken them? Have you been burying your talent? 
in hopes perhaps to use those for yourself and in hopes to use your time, your money, um, your relationships for yourself. Are you thinking, are you thinking long-term? Are you thinking, how can I uh, make a difference that's gonna last? Um, you know, at our church, we are trying to move away from uh, having a lot of events, um, having big events, and we're encouraging leaders to find one or two individuals that you can really spend time with, really pour into, invest in for the long term. We've, we, we just feel that events are something that, that build typically shallow. Uh, they're, they're, short-term, they're short-term investments. They're very short-term investments. And we want to become a church that is interested in long-term investment. Um, are you thinking long-term? Are you thinking, you know, where will the Oaks Church be in in 30 years, in 40 years. I know you guys have particular, um, particular challenges right now and a lot of questions. Um, are, you, are you thinking long-term, where are we gonna be in 20 years? Where, am I gonna, where are we gonna be in 50 years? Christ will return, I'm gonna end with this. <clears throat> Christ will return and he's gonna call us to account for what we have done with what we have been entrusted. 2 Corinthians 5 says, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one may receive compensation for his deeds done through the body in accordance with what he has done, whether good or bad. Each one of us as believers, um, we're not gonna face um, the judgment of whether we will make it to heaven or hell, but we will, but we will be judged and we will be, uh, all, all of the deeds that we have done will be looked at at Christ's return. Um, and it's my hope, my prayer, that uh, we would see ourselves particularly as that second slave. What are, the, what, are the, what are the ways that might seem little to us that he's, that he's blessed us with, but really they are, they are enormous blessings. It's a lifetime of opportunity, a lifetime of, of resources that, that Christ has blessed us with. And so as we wait, I pray that we can be uh, men and women that, that wait well. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we, uh, we thank you that uh, we can be assured of your return. Lord, you have kept every promise that you have made and we know that you will also keep that promise. Someday we will, we will, we will look forward to your kingdom coming in its fullness Lord, would you make each one of us aware of, uh, of the ways you have blessed us, even if we think they're small, the ways you have given us resources, even if we, th- we think that they're inadequate. And be like that second slave, Lord, looking for uh, how we can best utilize the things that you've entrusted of us. And we thank you today for these things. In Christ's name, amen.